0: I mean, as much as deliveries, they're miraculous. It's an incredible moment. Like I'm so grateful for all of those experiences. And I was actually reminded recently, I was out at some kind of event locally and a woman came up to me and started crying and thanking me for saving her daughter. I had apparently done a stat C-section and saved the baby from an abruption. I didn't have any recollection of it because I was so sleep deprived all those years. Welcome back. To the
1: Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore Supplement, made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code PODCAST and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Earlier today... I was checking my DMs on Instagram because that is where I love to hang out and connect with you the most. And a woman named Stephanie reached out beyond frustrated, not only at the level of care that she was not receiving from her doctor, but also the extra weight that she hadn't been able to lose for the past five years since she entered kind of mid-perimenopause. And truth be told, over 55% of women in my community are struggling with midlife weight gain that starts to really creep up in their 40s and continues to climb into their 50s in menopause. It's time to acknowledge the elephant in the room and normalize menopausal weight gain due to menopause. And until we begin to normalize the changes that happen in perimenopause and menopause, we will never be able to optimize women's health. The truth is, due to declining hormone levels, specifically progesterone and estradiol in our early to mid 40s. And for some, it could be earlier than that. Some, it could be later than that. But ultimately, this decline in hormones leads to menopausal levels of these critical hormones that connect to every organ system of the body. Basically, they drop down to almost none. And what happens as a result is a woman's body experiences profound, Systemic wide physiological changes. I'm talking the brain, the cardiovascular system, bones, metabolic health, inflammation, muscles, joints, hair, skin, vaginal changes, even our gut microbiome. There is nothing that is left off the table when it comes to experiencing a profound shift and change due to the decline of these important hormones. Every organ system is affected by our declining hormones, and to be honest, it's not going somewhere good. In a way, our declining reproductive hormones seem to speed up aging for the majority of us. And I quickly want to share some of the metabolic changes that occur as a result of the perimenopausal transition into menopause that lead to menopausal weight gain. And the reason why I want to share these with you very quickly is that I want you to know that you are not crazy, that things are shifting and changing metabolically that are moving you more towards a state of metabolic dysfunction. Here's some of the things that are happening. Lower estradiol levels result in lower muscle mass. Lower estradiol shifts fat from our butt and hips to our abdominal fat. So we start to see fat redistribution to belly fat, which creates more insulin resistance and more inflammation. Lower estradiol levels drive insulin resistance across the board and will drive up our lipids like our triglycerides, total cholesterol, and we'll even see blood sugar rising as well. Lower estradiol levels disrupt metabolic balance and mitochondrial efficiency. Lower levels of progesterone drive more deregulated stress, which can have a profound impact on our metabolic system. And lower testosterone levels disrupt metabolic balance and lowers muscle mass. All of this moves us in a direction of less metabolic stability and less metabolic efficiency and resilience. Because I know that midlife women want to know what's happening to their bodies during this critical transition and want to know what they can do to pivot either during perimenopause or in menopause, I invited my dear friend, Dr. Tabitha Barber, to share her expertise in treating menopausal women struggling with metabolic dysfunction and menopausal weight gain, along with a lot of other things that are happening to us at this time in our lives. So before I bring her on, I want to quickly Sing her praises. Dr. Tabitha Barber is a triple board certified in obstetrics and gynecology in menopause, and she's a functional medicine doctor. She has the unique situation of being licensed to practice medicine in over half the country. She's the host of the Gutsy Gynecologist Show, where she shares wisdom and knowledge with women everywhere to reclaim their health. She is the creator of Fast to Faith, a 40-day program that takes women on a faith-centered journey of fasting to heal and thrive. And she is now the author of the brand new book, Fast to Faith. Let's welcome Tabitha. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise hormones are involved in belly fat production which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach and that's exactly what i'm offering to you as a free gift today my belly slim down guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat along with recipes to reduce bloating balance your blood sugar and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slim down. That's drmarisa.com slash slim down. And the link will be in the show notes to the show.
0: Welcome to the Energize Podcast, Dr. Tabitha. Honey, how are you doing today? I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am so excited. And we're going to be talking about all the things
1: related to women in midlife, talking about stress, bioidentical hormone therapy, metabolic flexibility, fasting, a lot of the tools that I think really move the needle for women, especially 40 and older, which as you and I both know, is half of our life. And what I would love to do before we get in, because I haven't had you on the show before, is would you share kind of that defining moment for you, Dr. Tabitha? What was that moment for you where you wanted to move? I mean, were you always kind of a functional practitioner or was there a moment where you realized, you know, being in practice, you were starting to see things in your patients and you
0: realized that maybe you needed to take a different route in terms of how to take care of them? Oh, my goodness. So it was actually my own pain to purpose story. And I think a lot of functional providers have that where it's just some pivotal moment in their lives where they realize they can no longer do things the way they were doing them. So I'm a high school dropout. I should have never gone to college. My delivery at 17 years old of my daughter was very traumatic and I was assigned a doctor who made it clear that he didn't want to take care of me. I was on Medicaid. So, you know, he would say things like, I get 20 cents on the dollar for you. And there was never any discussions. There was never any informed consent. Things were done to me. Nothing was explained. And it was all very traumatic. And at the time, I just felt like this is how it is. Your doctor tells you what to do and you deal with it. But I had... A long labor. I pushed for over three hours and he finally came in and he did a forceps delivery on me that tore me from front to back. And I was never the same person after that. I still have complications to this day, but little did I know that he was a family practice doctor and he couldn't do a C-section. He had no other choices. And that discussion never happened, you know? So I came out of that, not only a mother and a woman, but like a woman on a mission to figure out how do I not let other girls go through what I just went through, especially my daughter looking at her? You know, she's a little baby and I'm just wanting to take care of her. So I figured it out. I got my GED. I went to a community college. I got all A's. I did all the things, right? I got into medical school. I went into residency. I was told if you want to help women be a gynecologist, fast forward 20 years. I was miserable and I was failing my patients because I was cranking through 40 women a day, doing surgeries all day, delivering babies all night. On the surface, it was all well and good, but I really wasn't helping them. And it wasn't until I injured my back and required back surgery. And that failed. And I went back to the surgeon and he was like, it's no big deal. Back surgeries like Lay's potato chips. You can't have just one. And it was at that moment that I just thought, what am I doing? Is this really how we treat people? And I did the unthinkable and I took four months off of work. I It was very hard for me to give that up to just say, okay, I'm going to abandon my patience because that's what I felt like I was doing. But I was at my breaking point. And you might not remember, but that is actually uh, during a time when I met you at Revitalize, which was a mind body green retreat in Arizona. And I found this whole world of health and wellness. I knew nothing about you talking about your podcasts and Jolene Brighton and JJ Virgin and all of these people. And I thought there's a whole nother way to live and function because as a doctor, all I would see is disease and dysfunction And it was just Band-Aid medicine. I was just trying to fix the symptom that was presented quickly as possible. But I was never asking, why is this happening? Why is the body so-called retaliating? I had this hateful relationship with my body. And why was it betraying me? And so I learned so much. And once your eyes are opened, you can't go back, right? Like I tried to go back and do functional medicine with my patients. And I couldn't do it. You know, administration was yelling at me. You're not making enough money. You're taking too much time with patients. You're not doing enough surgery. And I left and it's been like the hardest decision, but most rewarding decision of my whole life, because now I actually heal women. I used to do four to six surgeries a week. And now I do none. And that has been the game changer because I'm actually getting to the root cause of what's driving the heavy periods and the fibroids and the endometriosis and the depression and the weight gain. And we're fixing that. It's so unbelievable how in the dark I was as a doctor. And so I came full circle. Like I had to go through all that trauma of helping women to actually help women, right? Well, I'm so happy that you
1: are, and I'm so happy that you kind of found that that path that feels so good to you. And how does it feel doing the work that you do now in relation to the many, many, many years that you were practicing surgery and baby deliveries and, you know, just being in the, kind of being in the system, right? Being in the healthcare system. That's so crazy. It sounds like I, I give it when people get, when women come to me feeling really outraged and angry, which understandably so, they're going to their primary or they're, you know, they're going to maybe sometimes even their gyno. And I say, you know, it's like trying to buy milk at a hardware store. You know? <laughs> you're just not going to find it there. It's, you're not. And what's heartbreaking is, is I would think that, I think I get why so many women, you know, going to their gynecologists would think that. That would be the place to ask about their hormones and ask about perimenopause and ask about menopause and a lot of the things that are happening that are coming up that we know are absolutely related to, you know, hormone fluctuations and declining issues due to declining hormones. Um, except, as you just mentioned, that you're like, that's not what I was training for. That's not what medicine like what Dr. Pierre Tia calls medicine 2.0. Like it's, that's treatment medicine. That's triage medicine. That's not preventative medicine or functional medicine at all. And so it is very much like trying to get milk from the hardware store when it really should be.
0: It feels like you're walking into a grocery store where milk is sold. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, A lot of it has to do with the bad data that has come out over the past 20 years, because I'll tell you, when I first started medical school, my first couple of years, I learned that hormone replacement was beneficial, it protected the cardiovascular system and your bones and your brain and all of these things, and then the WHI study came out, and literally millions of women were taken off of their hormone replacement overnight. And the media ran wild with the incorrect information that came out from that study. And everybody panicked, including doctors, because we don't want to be sued. It's a scary feeling to be sued. And we don't want to harm patients. We actually take an oath, first do no harm. And so it felt like the harmless thing to do was just to take them off of these hormones, but in reality, we've realized it's one of the most harmful, especially so abruptly. So I actually had the privilege of my first practice. I um, inherited from an older gentleman who was retiring at 74. So he practiced forever. He literally- Like 50 years, it sounds like. (laughs) Yes. He delivered these women, you know, took care of the daughters that he delivered, helped them through menopause. And so I inherited a practice of women in their 70s and 80s who were on hormone replacement, even after the WHI. And it was really scary at first, but I thought, okay, I can figure this out, you know, I'll I'll do it. And I learned so much from those patients. They told me about how hormones had saved their marriages and saved their pelvic floor and saved their mental state and their jobs. And like the way that I saw hormones was so different than all my colleagues, because I was hearing all this anecdotal evidence that it's good for you. It saves you. And they were so grateful to that doctor for not panicking and following the mass media and taking them off. And I had women threatening me like, don't you dare take those hormones away. Dr. Robertson didn't do it. You're not doing it or or I'll fire you. And so it, it really gave me a different perspective on the whole thing. And so I've been trying to piecemeal all of this together ever since then. And I've come to the conclusion that we've we've really harmed a lot of women and we're not giving them the truth. We're not having true informed conversations. You know, we're asking for consent for things, but we're not telling them the whole story.
1: Yeah. I would love to get into that. Actually, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is talking about that in, in a book that that I read, you know, this year was Estrogen Matters, which has just been, you know, a phenomenal book. And I believe one of those doctors had a, a, a review of the WHI um, study um, recently just came out and just kind of just just blowing it apart. And, you know, if you could just say it nicely in what a disservice we've done to millions upon millions of women. That's That's been 20 years that, you know, I think what almost immediately 75 plus percent of women came off of hormone replacement therapy due to kind of the media kind of upheaval around that. And, and now we know that, you know, it, we've put more women at, at danger and at risk. And so I'd love to hear what have been some of your experiences and and are you excited for the resurgence of bringing women back on hormone replacement and also hormone supplementation? That's, I was thinking, you know, what was interesting to me, just, just kind of a, and I've shared this a little bit on the show before, but I also have Hajimoto's thyroiditis. And my labs are looked at every 90 days, give or take. And we are looking at optimal ranges, functional ranges to keep my thyroid super healthy because it took, it took a hit. It took us a minute to figure out what's going on with me. And so my thyroid hasn't been fully the same. So I'm on not a big dosage, but a dosage to keep me in optimal range. And, you know, the one thing that, that was very true um, was that we were never going to wait until my numbers were zero, my thyroid labs to to get me in a in a range. But that's what I find that we sometimes do with women is that we wait until the progesterone and estradiol tank, and then we're like, then we'll replace them. Whereas I'm that to me doesn't even make any sense. You know, I, I would be I you know my thought kind of when I think about this and even being in the lived experience of perimenopause. Is that, you know, as we start to see these numbers decline, why wouldn't we give some level of supplementation dosage to keep us at a, you know, a therapeutic, you know, functional level? Not to, again, I'm not trying to have babies in 10 years. Like, I'm, I just want, I want my neurological health to be good. I want my cardiovascular health to be good. I want my bones to be strong. And I, I want to have metabolic resilience. And I know that these hormones play a critical role in all of that and so much more. So I'm on my thyroid hormone and I'm also on progesterone and I'm keeping an eye on estradiol. And let me tell you, the second she starts to like creep, I'm getting on an estradiol patch. And so I just, I don't want to wait until 51 to just to then, you know, once everything, when, when that decline had been happening for six plus years, you know, depending on the person and I'm already, the decline's
0: already happening to me at 44. Absolutely. Why should we wait until we are so miserable that we can't function to seek help? And you and I are so much alike. I developed Hashimoto's after my delivery at 17. So I've dealt with that this whole time. And I went on progesterone probably five or six years ago. So early 40s, I found that I was getting crazy heavy periods, having estrogen dominance, feeling anxious, not sleeping when I actually had the a chance to sleep for a couple hours. And progesterone was a game changer for me. It, it literally gave me my ability to function back. And then about a year and a half, maybe two years ago at this point, I found myself sitting on the couch for two days. And at one point, my husband sat down next to me and he was like, what is wrong with you? It's like the middle of the day. Don't you have a podcast to do or something? And all I could think in my head was, oh, my God, would you stop talking to me? I can't stand you. Like, get away from me. And I was a shell of myself. And it took me until the third day when I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if my estrogen tanked. And lo and behold, it had. I put an estradiol patch on and it was just a baby dose because I was scared. I didn't know. I was like, why do I need this so young? I'm still in my 40s. I put this little baby dose on. And I got off the couch and then I put double dose on and I felt like myself again, it like in days. And that was the biggest wake up call ever to me. Like, oh my gosh, I'm letting my patients suffer unnecessarily and and just be miserable and not function and be told they're depressed and get their antidepressants from their doctors. And we're not dealing with it until their periods are done, you know, or until they have full-on menopause. Right. After years
1: of suffering and struggling. Right. And Risa, I couldn't function.
0: Like, I didn't want to do my job anymore. I didn't want to be married. Like, I couldn't believe the impact it had. And that was a wake-up call to me to take a stance and say, you know what, hormones are that important. They actually make you who you are. And if we don't focus on keeping them in balance, like your whole life could fall apart and nobody's realizing that. And So that is when I really like started pushing for just educating women and helping them understand all these little things that they're feeling, the fatigue, the joint pain, the not wanting to go out with their friends anymore. They're not wanting to have sex with their partner. Like it's probably your hormones are out of balance and we need to evaluate that. So I'm with you. I'm not waiting until I'm at zero. Like I am now on my estrogen and progesterone and and I will hurt someone if I have to go off of it.
1: (laughs) I, well, that's what I'm saying. It's just, in, and we're, like I said, I'm looking at my estrogen levels pretty carefully because there's some, I, I feel like there's some signs that are showing a need for an estradiol patch. And there's a part of me is like, well, you're, you're only 44. Like, do you really need an estradiol patch yet? Yeah, but again, I'm getting perimenopausal rage. I'm just noticing some things. Tr- I, I get horrible migraines right before my period that can last for three days. And there's just a couple symptoms that, you know, I, I thought, well, let me try progesterone first because I, that has been. That has been low for me for a very long time. And so that was kind of the first good step to start. And yeah, I'm, I'm running labs. I'm also, you know, I have a, a functional doctor who just wants to kind of, you know, cover their booty. So I'm running, doing another PAP. I'm going to do a mammogram. You know, I breastfed Kingston until July. And so I was just like,
0: I'm not doing a mammogram while I'm breastfeeding. I just refuse. <laughs> and so it's time for me to, <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is not a good idea. It's going to come back, dense breasts, everything looks weird. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm waiting.
1: So I'm going to do those things and I'd be curious. I mean, you know, I have some friends of mine who are like, you know what, a low dose estradiol patch when you're dealing with these types of symptoms and you've got some lower than normal estradiol is fine. And then I have some friends who still are kind of in the conventional way or like, you know what, let's just make sure you are super good to go before we put a patch on you. You know, I think these kind of, you know, diagnostics of looking and preventative diagnostics are, are worthwhile. It's something I, I I recommend doing anyway. And you know I don't necessarily you know I guess it really depends on you know you and your practitioner whether these types of diagnostics are necessary before you get on an estradiol patch. But I, I what I will say and I agree with you is that that when we we drop that level of estradiol and we head into menopause, I mean our propensity for cardiovascular disease or dementia just significantly increases. And I know that the risk and the danger. Or the the concern, this kind of the scare around bioidentical hormones, particularly the, an estradiol patch or a Premarin or something like that, is breast cancer. And and what we're looking at, I mean, if I looked at it across the board, you know, we have an I guess an overall eight percent risk factor for potentially for breast cancer but over 50% risk for cardiovascular disease and i believe that 8% is is kind of skewed kind of a culmination across the many decades it's not actually true the whole time um it's like a compilation of of all of the total amount of years but cardiovascular disease is definitely the one to take us out and so you know if if hormones can help mitigate that risk or even just push Th- you know, those major chronic conditions away, to me, that just feels like a win-win. On top of the acute symptoms that so many of us are dealing with, you know, we're talking about l- later down the road, but I still think that women are really struggling and suffering because they don't think that this is an option for them or they there's been a lot, a lot of miseducation.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're hitting on so many important points. Like they say your risk of breast cancer is one in eight but that is if you live to the age of 85, your risk for most women who are, you know, in their forties and fifties is like one in 26. It's because your rate increases every decade that you continue to live. So you have a lower risk in your thirties, it bumps up in forties, it bumps up in fifties in every decade, therefore. But you mentioned something earlier, when the WHI came out, we abruptly stopped over 70% of the women who were on it. Have we seen breast cancer decrease in the past 20 years? No, we have not. That is a huge important point. We've literally just lost all of our common sense. The bigger point is if estrogen caused cancer, the majority of cancer would be in 20 and 30-year-olds when your estrogen is the highest. And it's not. It's the lowest. It's the highest in 80-year-old women who are very far removed from any kind of hormone replacement therapy. So If we just used any kind of common sense, we would know that what is being spewed is completely false. And what's even more frustrating is if I would have went to a gynecologist with my complaints at age 45, 46, I would have been offered a birth control pill to, quote unquote, regulate my periods, and make myself feel better, maybe help my skin. Like it's supposed to do all of these amazing things, right? Manage,
1: support your mood maybe. I mean, whatever's being sold as this kind of all,
0: but really manage your periods and pain. And birth control pills are 10 times the amount of hormones that hormone replacement therapy is. So it's way higher doses and we are Fine and comfortable giving these to women until they're age 50. And then we panic and say, oh my gosh, you're 50 years old. You got to get off the birth control pill. Now and you can't have hormones anymore. And we don't question what did those synthetic hormones do for the past 20 or 30 years that the woman was on them. And part of the WHI study, what it showed was it studied two different arms. There was two different groups of women, women who just took estrogen as Premarin because they didn't have a uterus. And that's what standard of care was. And then there was the Prempro, which was synthetic conjugated equine estrogen from horse urine and progestin that is the arm that showed one extra breast cancer case in the group and that's what halted the whole thing but it wasn't the estrogen group it was the estrogen plus progestin and that progestin is what's in all of our birth control pills so we are giving this synthetic progesterone that is known to be harmful to women for decades and then we tell them they have to go off and they can't have any more hormones because estrogen is the culprit. We have it so wrong. And I just really want to encourage women to be their own advocate and read the book Estrogen Matters and, and listen to podcasts like this and really just use your common sense because you don't have to have a medical degree to know that none of this made any sense for women. And it really is okay. And estrogen is protective. As soon as our estrogen goes down, our risk of heart disease goes up, like you mentioned. Our insulin resistance starts to creep up. Our weight starts to creep up. Fat distribution shifts and changes, and not in a good way. Absolutely. And I just want to point out the fact that I believe God created our bodies to do amazing things. And it's not that your body's failing you. Literally, fat cells make estrogen. And so when you're deplete and no longer making estrogen from your ovaries, your body is genius and says, put on more fat cells. We'll make more estrogen in her fat cells to keep her bones safe and her cardiovascular system safe but we don't want that so you go on hormone replacement therapy and i'm sorry but that's your personal decision you should have the right to make that decision it it shouldn't be up to the doctor whether you want to go on hormones or not you know we don't have that kind of stigma with thyroid hormone medication we don't have that stigma with men and testosterone but for women we're treated differently
1: yeah Yeah.
0: It's been a little bit
1: mind-blowing about how, you know, if if it is recommended even today in the conventional system, that it's like the most minimal dosage and you won't go past that. So we won't get women into a, a range that can be really optimal or it can at least reduce symptoms. So that had been really, it's been interesting to hear from so many women is that, you know, they get maxed out on their dosage and they still don't feel well. And then the other thing about the world, uh, you know, the WHI study which I thought was fascinating was that we we looked at a we didn't focus on younger women in their 50s. A lot of these women were in their 60s and their 70s and we we didn't focus on women who had symptoms. You know that were that, that like things like hot flashes or and the other thing that was really interesting to me was that a lot of these women with them being older had a lot of you know metabolic risk factors. So, you know, that was happening as well. They, lots of insulin resistance, lots of cardiovascular markers that were off and lots of kind of metabolic syndrome. So there were just so many things that went wrong with this study that um really breaks my heart. And I'm just so grateful that we're we're moving away from it.
0: <laughs> oh, I think it's so important that you brought this up because seriously that study was not your average population of women seeking hormone therapy. The average age woman, like you mentioned, was 63. She was at least 10 years post-menopausal and been without hormones in her body for a decade. The majority of women were smokers and overweight and had already developed heart disease when we gave them those hormones. And so we did learn some things from this study. We learned that if you give women hormones well after their body has been without it and they've already developed heart disease, it's harder to reverse that disease. It's harder to reverse the diabetes and the insulin resistance. And it does come with some risk because estrogen can increase your risk of blood clot and stroke. So, That seems to be from the oral form because of something called a 1st past effect where it goes through your liver and increases your clotting factors. So we know that it's safer to get estrogen transdermally through the skin with a patch or a cream or a pellet. And we know that progesterone is better than progestins. So we did learn a lot. Unfortunately, we just harmed a lot of women in the meantime. And a lot of women suffered unnecessarily, you know, and I look at women like my mom who could have had hormones at that at that point, And now she's quote unquote too old and she can't receive the benefits because she's already had bone loss and dementia setting in and all of the things. And so all we can do is, Go moving forward, have that conversation with women. So if your doctor is not capable of having that conversation, you deserve to find someone who can have that conversation with you. And there are plenty of doctors out there who know the truth, who have been educated. And unfortunately, conventional OBGYNs, they still think there's no data because they are so stuck in their world of disease and dysfunction that they don't even know that the Institute for Functional Medicine and the Anti-Aging A4M Association and all of these big, huge wellness and prevention associations have been doing the studies. They're out there. They're just not talked about in the world of the conventional space. And so I say don't even get mad at your doctor. They just don't know. They're ignorant to the whole situation.
1: I think you're you're absolutely right. The most important thing we can do is be proactive for ourselves. Be the CEO of our care to take an active role in our care. We, we know this has been shared so often on the show, more often than probably anything else, but that... If we want to to have a beautiful, healthy, well life, especially, you know, in our 50s, 60s and beyond, we really need to be a part of that active conversation, a part of the team that helps to support our health span and wellbeing. And that means we've got to be, We've got to be proactive in finding the right doctors for ourselves. If we're not hearing the answer that we, we want, if our symptoms are not being managed appropriately, if we know that information is out there and it's not aligning with the type of care that you know that you deserve or that you know is available, like you said, there are a lot of doctors out there that are doing it and the information is out there like never before. There are books on all of this, you know, and thank goodness, you know, a lot of the functional doctors are writing books. There is content out there. There are books like Estrogen Matters. There are books on perimenopause and menopause that really take a, a functional viewpoint on how we can take care of ourselves and how we can navigate, you know, I always tell my ladies, my community is, you know, go to your primary to get your labs done and demand all the labs, you know, come with your list of labs. I've shared them so many times here on the show. I've got printouts of them. I've got guides on them. I'm like, take, take this and get as many will get covered. And then if, and then if you're not, whatever, you're not able to get covered there, then, you know, you're probably gonna have to go out of pocket and you can get those there as well. You know, you can get them somewhere else. And so uh, that's what I always tell people, like get what you can get <laughs> from your primary. I mean, we spend an exorbitant amount of of money on insurance. You know, I have a little, as you know, I have a three-year-old. And so we've got family coverage that we don't use. You know, it's, again, it's for emergency, um, except that my husband and I, we run, we get full out as many lab panels and, and we, you know, kind of looking at that kind of thing as much as possible. I'll do, you know, I'm scheduling my mammogram, I'm doing all the things. So like, you know, and, and, you know, I've got my own thoughts on mammograms and all that too, but it's maybe for another day, but I'm going to get what I can get from what I have. And then I I would say that 80% or more of our healthcare needs are out of pocket. Mo- way more than that.
0: <laughs> like all of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I run a monthly call. I actually did it today at 12 o'clock. I'm, I'm Eastern time. You probably haven't even had 12 o'clock yet. Um, Not yet. Almost. <laughs> But all the women who are members in my medical practice, I do a monthly call and we go over labs and we answer questions and and all the stuff that they're really not getting from their regular doctors. Because you're so right that they're usually told, oh, you don't need that lab or it's not covered by insurance. And that's almost always not true. Like, It's a flat out lie. I mean, if you have decent medical coverage, you can get a hemoglobin A1C, a fasting insulin, some basic hormone labs, your complete thyroid panel, your autoimmune markers for your Hashimoto's. Like they will cover all of them. Your doctor doesn't know how to interpret those tests. So they say they're not covered because they don't want to deal with the results. I'm just being super honest right now. Like, They're not going to order you a reverse T3 because they don't know what it means. Uh, It took me a minute to get my reverse T3. I, you know,
1: and obviously lucky for you and I, we know how to read these labs. And so I just, I'm like, just run them. And I will, I'm just, I'm just going to take them and I will do what I do. Like, just, just run my labs. There's my list. I haven't been able to get my fasting insulin taken care of. I've had to run that outside of, outside of my my primary. And which breaks my heart. I'm just like, can we just, if, if insulin resistance is like the, the thing that's driving so much of our metabolic issues and most of our, the big, the big chronic disease issues. You know, why can't we get a cheap, it's such an inexpensive lab. Why can't we get it? You know, and if it can, it can afford what's happening, you know, 10 years out. And so that's, you know, again, get what you can get and then go out of pocket. I mean, there's a lot of lab companies, there's a lot of, you know, thank goodness, private companies that are doing panels that you can order and they're not super expensive. Are there specific labs that you recommend or that you love to run on your patients that you feel, especially in perimenopause and menopause?
0: Yeah. And it's really important for women to understand that your body is dynamic and it's always changing. So just because your labs quote unquote looked normal before or were a certain level at one point doesn't mean they're always going to be, especially when you transition through perimenopause. It's very common for women to have normal cholesterol levels, normal blood sugar, everything's kind of copacetic and just fine. And then when your hormones shift and you are no longer making estrogen and progesterone from your ovaries, those numbers change drastically. And my patients are always shocked. Oh my gosh, am I dying? Why is my cholesterol so bad? What happened to my insulin or my you know average blood sugar? And it's because estrogen is protective and it keeps your body as a well-oiled machine. And when that goes away, things shift, especially cholesterol. Cholesterol is the backbone ingredient of our hormones. So we take cholesterol and we make cortisol, we make progesterone, we make estrogen, we make DHEA and testosterone. So when we stop making those hormones... Our cholesterol levels go up because we're no longer using it to make hormones. And so there's this transition period of, wow, your cholesterol is really a lot higher. And it's because you just stopped making your hormones. But nobody accounts for that fact. And so we have to have these conversations. I love to see trends. You know, it's really important to see what your levels are, but it's also important to see what they are compared to what they used to be. And going forward, because if you just say get a fasting insulin and it's 10, you're like, okay, that's not great. I want it to be five, but maybe it was 27 and now it's 10 because you've been doing such awesome work on your diet and lifestyle. Or maybe it used to be three and now it's 10 and you really need to turn the boat around and go the other way. So. Trends are super important. I love hearing that you're getting your labs like every quarter. that is the difference. Yes. yeah.
1: I have ran full out labs every quarter. and there have been reasons for that. This has been a very, I, I would say my health has brought me down to, brought me to my knees in multiple occasions this year. and so because of that, I've had to look at, I think I've ran like a full panel of everything, probably four or five times this year. So I I, I honestly, an unreasonable amount of times really. And so, but it's
0: so important. No, thank you for sharing like your concussion journey with all of us and just being so authentic with your health journey, because women need to know that they're not alone. This is not weird or abnormal. Like we are all going through these difficult things and something like a concussion, you would never think that would affect your hormones, but it absolutely does. And so to look at that comprehensive situation of like, oh my gosh, that trauma affected your adrenals and your ovaries and your blood sugar, it's all connected. Literally all of our systems are taking information from each other and shifting accordingly. It's a big cogwheel. We're not, these systems are not in silos like conventional medicine would have you believe. You know, we go to the gastroenterologist for our diarrhea and the neurologist for the numbness in our fingers and the endocrinologist for our thyroid, literally it's all connected. And so the more that women can understand that piece of it and that when one system shifts, they all shift because your body has this innate intelligence. It's always trying to be in balance. If one thing's way off, the other thing is going to shift. And so we don't think about it that way. So I love that you bring all that to light and really help women realize that it's not just straightforward, like what's happening in your
1: pelvis, (laughs) No. And it's so fascinating about how my concussion or my post-concussion syndrome was treated. Well, it, it really, it just wasn't, let's be honest, it wasn't treated. Um, and so, but it, the what, the unfolding of kind of that aftermath was really a fascinating journey for me. And what is a concussion on someone with Hashimoto's thyroiditis who already has, you know, an L, you know, kind of a a, a, a wonky immune system that I had accidentally elevated a couple months earlier, that I had kept into remission until those. And, you know, what are the odds? It just, you know, you're right, it's such a, it's all interconnected. And so I, the one thing I will say in terms of, you know, running labs so many times this year is I do have so many data points to pull from. Um, but I do, I mean, ideally, you know, annually is amazing. You know, if if you've got something that you need to keep and monitor two to three times a year, depending on what it is, um, I think is always great. And like you said, having that time, kind of that timeline of, of looking at your labs, especially kind of, you know, ideally, I would say women, you know, if we could look at them in your 20s, into your 30s, into your 40s, like we could see this overall trend over time and really understand what's going on with your body, especially your, your metabolic health. Uh, and in the correspondence to your hormone health. And so, and if you're you're listening, you're like, "Well, I never did that, or it didn't happen for me. No worries. Like today is always a great day to start that timeline to be looking. And so, yeah,
0: I have all my lab, my labs are all in a spreadsheet. Absolutely. I would say, you know, when I first see a patient at minimum, I do the full cholesterol panel, get all the lipids get a fasting insulin, a hemoglobin A1C, which is your average blood sugar over the past three months, which can shift significantly, especially with stress and other things. And so that's why you want to get an insulin because if your insulin is okay, that means your body's still handling this elevated blood sugar and and still can manage it. If your insulin's elevated and your blood sugar is elevated, you are way closer to diabetes than someone who has a regular insulin. So it it all matters. I love to look at hormones and a complete thyroid panel. So that is not just the TSH and free T4. That is a total and free T4, a total and free T3, a reverse T3, thyroglobulin antibodies, thyroperoxidase antibodies. And if You know, there's other symptoms. I might do more autoimmune stuff like an ANA or something like that. I also do vitamin levels. I want to see your vitamin A, your vitamin D, your B12 or methylmalonic acid, one of those markers. CRP is super, you know, helpful. It's C-reactive protein. It tells us how much inflammation in your body. Initially, that test was just for cardiovascular disease, but what we've come to understand is the high sensitivity marker of it is really helpful just for inflammation in general. And I find that it's almost always coming from the gut. So if I see like a CRP five, six, seven, I'm like, oh yeah, we need to check your gut. We need to figure out what the heck's going on in your gut. As far as hormones, what the trend I see now is doctors will kind of put their toe in the water and they'll be like, okay, I'll order you an estrogen level or something. And they'll just get a couple basics. And I really, I want to see the whole panel. I want to see your estradiol, your estrone, your progesterone, your DHEAS, your total and free testosterone, all of that. That's super helpful because a lot of times women are struggling with low testosterone and nobody is aware, or high testosterone and nobody's aware, and DHEA and things like that. So it's like you want to get that full picture to really make a decision how to move all the pieces in the cogwheel. Because if you only work on one thing, the other pieces will shift. So I see this a lot. People will get on hormone replacement therapy, but they'll have had a thyroid issue that wasn't really addressed or dealt with. And then that gets worse, you know, or adrenals, like you have major adrenal dysfunction and you don't deal with it. You're trying to heal your gut or fix your thyroid. It's not going to work. You have to deal with the adrenals. And so that's where I love functional testing because you can't really... Evaluate the adrenals very well in blood work. Blood is just a transport mechanism. It will tell you what's going on, like how much something was produced, but it doesn't tell you what your body's doing with those and how they're being metabolized and utilized. And when it comes to adrenals and cortisol and all of those pieces, you want to be looking at how your body's utilizing that. What's your 24 hour pattern looks like. And so then we're starting to get into functional testing, but you can do so much with some basic blood tests.
1: I agree. And that's what I always want to emphasize. I mean, sometimes we do need to go down the rabbit hole and I'm so grateful that you are helping women go down that rabbit hole. But I I always, I mean, I always tell women, like, I don't want you to think because I know functional testing can get so expensive. I mean, unfortunately, it just it's just the way that it is right now. Medicine 3.0, preventative medicine, health span medicine isn't in, isn't cheap. It, it, it can get a little expensive and I want women to know that you know there are baseline labs that you can get ordered that we can start with. That you can make some major changes, but you're absolutely right. As as you were listing all the things, I'm like, I was, you know, and and I'm sure so many other women are like, got it, got it, had it, had it, you know. Like I'm like, oh yeah, adrenal. How do you think I got Motos in the first place? I had a dre- massive adrenal b- blowout, you know, and it wasn't a burnout; it was a blowout, like it was, you know. And so, and then you know, and 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 the gut issues and how that's related to you know so many other things and. Um, and then, you know, looking at how stress has a profound impact on our metabolic health or declining hormones on our lipid panels. I mean, all of these things, it's all so interconnected. And I think kind of the big takeaways here is, you know, tr- get your annual, l- get the labs done, do your annual um, so that you can kind of see that timeline play out. Um, and if if your symptoms are not being managed and you know, as you're listening to this or you've listened to any other Podcast here or on some other shows, you know, get a second opinion, dive deeper into what is going on because it all is so interconnected. One of the modalities that I know that you've been educating on, you know, outside of, you know, treating adrenals and supporting thyroid health and obviously bioidentical hormones, but is fasting. I know that what you're seeing a lot in your patients is what I'm seeing a lot as well, which is declining metabolic health and, you know, what kind of tools in our toolbox we can leverage to optimize our metabolic health. I mean, hormones being one of those beautiful tools. But talk to me about how you've seen fasting play out. Obviously, my my audience is a big fan of Dr. Mindy Pels. And I'd be curious, you know, do you find any dis- difference or distinction? In women who fast in perimenopause versus menopause, do you find that hormone fluctuations and basically it shouldn't even be called hormone fluctuations. It's just really a steady decline is what it really is. I mean, it's it's, the fluctuating decline is really what is going on there. But does this in perimenopause, are there any things that we should be or need to be mindful when it comes to fasting versus menopause or, you know, kind of any, any kind of ways in which that we can optimize it in our favor?
0: Yeah, I think the big thing is that once you get into your 40s, you just can't eat and live the way you did in your 20s and 30s. Everything shifts. Your metabolism definitely shifts. And so you can't just like cardio your way out of that five pounds or go on a crash diet for two weeks because your body will rebel and go, nope, we're not doing that. And you will gain the weight back. And so women get in this vicious cycle of fad diets and different things or trying to exercise for weight loss. And exercise is for strength and health. It's not for weight loss. Weight loss comes from eating the right foods and living the right way, honestly. And so what I found was, Women who started incorporating fasting, they would feel a shift in their hormones, good or bad, depending on their situation, right? And so if your hormones are a hot mess and your diet is terrible, cleaning up your diet and getting control of your eating window so that you're not eating at nine, 10 o'clock at night, messing with your circadian rhythm, it's probably gonna help your hormone status. But if you had a beautiful regular period every month, you were nice and fertile, you were ovulating, and then you go and you do some crazy restriction like the one-a-day food plan, it's going to affect your ovarian function and it's going to shift your period and mess it up. So I say, if you're trying to have a baby, if you're trying to be fertile and you're really in that reproductive window still, you want to do the basic healthy eating of eating in an eight or 10 hour window. You don't want to eat two or three hours before bed. You want to focus on healthy fats and proteins and complex carbohydrates that have fiber because fiber helps you remove your excess hormones that your body's done using. So all those basics really still come into play for reproductive women. And some people call that fasting. Like if I only eat from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., I am fasting those other hours. So it's all um, semantics, really. It's like people get into things. But I would say it's like your superpower once you're in menopause. And because... Your metabolism needs that extra boost. And when you don't have those hormones, you don't need as many calories. You most, unless you're training for a triathlon, most women in this day and age are sedentary, probably at least six to eight hours of their waking day. Some of them work out half hour to an hour, but you don't need. 50 or 100 grams of carbohydrates, you're just not going to burn through that sitting at your desk and doing your average day. So if you drink two cocktails or a pop or a glass of juice, like you're already overboard for the day. And so fasting can be a real superpower because not only are you stopping so much calorie intake, but you're also kind of cramming it into a window of six to eight hours. And most people can't consume that much in that time period. Right. Well,
1: yeah. And it's during the day you kind of, we were talking about like, you're honoring that circadian rhythm. I find, and I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm sure you've worn a continuous glucose monitor, but we eat early one for my son and also for our blood sugar. But, you know, I could eat the same meal two hours later and it looked very different on my blood sugar, right? And so I find that we eat often in in a window, you know, during the day where we're more thermogenically, you know, kind of in a more thermogenic state. And then kind of in the evening time, especially a little bit after dark, when I'm, it's just going to my butt. It's really anything and everything at that point. Um, you know, that's when we are fasting. We're, we're usually fasting from like, you said, six to six to 6 PM to 9 PM or 9 AM. Sorry. Um, and I find that my blood sugar is so much happier and I'm just not, I'm not doing pushups. At night, you know, I I do do some, I I do do a little something. We walk after dinner, you know, but I'm not doing big things in the evening. You know, I'm I'm putting my son to bed. I guess I'm chasing
0: a toddler, but a naked baby. (laughs) Okay, you're doing a lot, but most of us are not expending a ton of energy and carbohydrates which are they come in good forms, fruits, vegetables, things like that. But all of those empty carbohydrates like pasta, bread, rice, all the stuff, it tastes good. But if you don't burn that right away as fuel, your body has to do something with it. And the first thing it does is stores it in your liver as fat. And fatty liver is now the number one cause of liver transplant in this country. And it's because we are eating too many carbohydrates. We're drinking too much wine. We're drinking too many cocktails, too much beer, all of these things. And so our body has to store it as fat and it has to pump out insulin to do that job. So the more that you eat, the more insulin you have to produce, the more you have to try and and regulate that blood sugar. And that's how things become dysfunctional. So we get into this state of being a sugar burner. And my 13-year-old daughter, she can handle it because she plays basketball and volleyball and rides her bike everywhere. She's earning her carbs. Right, she is burning the crap out of her carbs whereas i need to eat protein and fat which is slower acting and more satiating so that i'm not hungry again in 2 hours i don't want to eat again and i can utilize that so much more effectively than all those carbohydrates and once i realized that and got off the sugar roller coaster myself My brain started working so much better. And I didn't get hangry and I didn't get jittery and feel crazy all of the time. And so I love teaching women how to go from sugar burner to fat burner. You know, Mindy and I used to run in the same circles. We've had all these conversations. Like I absolutely agree with everything that she's saying as well. And what's even bigger in like my life right now is I've taught women how to do intermittent fasting. But when you figure out why you're trying to take care of your body, why you're fasting, why you're exercising, and you find some higher purpose for it, that's the game changer. Because all of a sudden, it's not about trying to have enough willpower and overcome your cravings and and all the emotional eating that we women do. It's like, oh my gosh. There's a bigger purpose for honoring my body and doing all of these things. So if you start to add in the faith piece to fasting, it can be a real game changer for women. Women who feel like, okay, I can't get off this vicious cycle of I try it, it works for three months, and then I fall back into my old habits and my old ways. It's because they're trying to rely on their own limited strength as human beings, their own willpower. And you have to search outside of yourself and have a big reason, a bigger reason for why you're doing this. Like rely on your creator for your strength, rely on your faith to get you through this. And that's where I see women really have transformations and shift their life more permanently for the better. So that's my focus right now is just teaching women how to fast their way to like a faith-filled life, a, a life that is more rewarding. As, and it's not just about weight loss.
1: And I know you have a book coming out. Do you want to just quickly share the book?
0: Yes. I'm so excited. It's called Fast to Faith. So it explains how all you know the systems are interconnected and how everything does come back to metabolic health like we were talking about and it goes through 40 days of teaching you how to go from being a sugar burner to a fat burner while using daily bible scriptures to meditate on for your strength to get you through this process of learning how to fast as a woman in a healthy way that is sustainable for the rest of your life. I love it. Thank you, I'm gonna have it. So if this is coming out, it's coming out around the same
1: time, yeah. And congratulations. And I just thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and sharing your journey and, and sharing, you know, the kind of the the reality of what women are getting when they go into, go to their gyno or they go to their, their regular doctor and, you know, and how we get to empower ourselves to find a better team, to go and seek out information that's going to really serve us. And I just, I just love your perspective and I just so appreciate you sharing it today.
0: Oh, I'm so honored to be here and I hope that we can get some, somebody to just, you know, go out and do something different and feel better. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Mm, Thanks, Annie.
1: I am beyond grateful that Dr. Tabitha spoke into the Women's Health Initiative study and all of the profound mistakes that were made in the study that have had a devastating impact on women and their health for the past 20 years. I cannot tell you how aligned I am with her recommendations for bioidentical hormones for women, not only in menopause, but also in perimenopause. As a woman in perimenopause, let me tell you, hormones have been a lifesaver. Now, if you are faith-based and want to learn more about her new book regarding metabolic health for women in midlife, please go and check her out. I'm going to have all the links for her website, her free guide, and her book, In the show notes, I think Dr. Tabitha is such a gift and is transforming the lives of women in midlife for the better. So please go and check her out. And if you loved this episode, if you loved the real talk that Dr. Tabitha and I brought to the table, please take a moment and subscribe to the show. And even better yet, take a moment and rate the show. It just takes a couple of seconds. That way we help more women find their truth and get their answers when it comes to navigating and optimizing their health. Until the next episode, have a beautiful day.